Hello, this is Carol, and you are listening to Analyze Asia, a podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. Today, we are going to talk about Facebook's $5.7 billion investment into Geo Platforms, the technology subsidiary of Reliance Industries, which is India's largest publicly traded company owned by the richest man in Asia as of April 2020, Mukesh Ambani. And to discuss the biggest foreign indirect investment in Indian technology history, I invited Tim Culpan, award-winning journalist turned columnist for Bloomberg, onto the show uh, to talk about this investment, which is also the biggest in Facebook's history. So first of all, welcome to the show, Tim. Nice to talk to you again, Carol. Now, you're a longtime friend of Analyze Asia. I know you've been on the show at least three times now in the past. Uh, you've came on the show to talk about the Vision Fund by SoftBank. You've talked about uh, Xiaomi's IPO. And most recently, you came onto the show to talk about the tech code war back in June 2019. It seems like a long time ago, but the topic is definitely as relevant as ever. And before we start talking about this investment or partnership between Facebook and Geo, what have you been up to, Tim? Wow, you know, June last year is, uh, it really just seems like a decade ago. I've been uh, sheltering in place in Taipei, to be honest. I, I haven't had to shelter in place. Taipei is one of the few places in the world that I can roam about freely in, in the middle of COVID-19. Beyond donning a mask when I get onto the MRT, life continues and normal in Taipei. But really, the, the thing that's uh, taking up a lot of my time and, and my other Bloomberg opinion colleagues is trying to work out what's going on in the world, trying to make sense of what's going to happen next. And we don't know what's happening next week, let alone next month or next year. So we're doing our best to try and get an understanding of, of how this is going to play out, inform our readers. The best that I can uh, offer really to anybody that, that listens or read my work is to say that, you know, as there are more and more people around the world unemployed, the short-term bounces in the stock market need to be looked at very closely. And those with cash, those with a lot of money sitting around will be uh, very, very happy. And those who are short of cash are probably going to be shedding some tears in the next few months. That's right. And it is a very, very crazy time right now. But I'm glad that you are safe and sound in, in Taipei and doing very important work. Now, let's talk about this legendary investment or partnership. Uh, first of all, I'd like to get some facts straight and, you know, sort out some relationships of people and companies in the, the, in the story, because I don't think it's just a coming together of companies, but an alliance between some legendary billionaires. So on one hand, we have Facebook, you know, headed by Mark Zuckerberg, who also owned uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, amongst others. And then we have, on the other hand, Geo Platforms, which is a subsidiary of Reliance Industries, headed by Mukesh Ambani, the richest man in Asia. And if you want to learn more about the Ambani family, actually, you can listen to episode 264 of Analyze Asia, where we interviewed the author of the billionaire Raj, James Crabtree about the Indian billionaire families. And so Geo Platforms, which was founded only last year, actually, in 2019, and our listeners might be a little bit more familiar with Reliance Geo, uh, the telecom company uh, founded back in 2016 that disrupted the telecom industry in India. So Reliance Geo, or Geo for short, is actually a subsidiary of Geo Platforms, along with a few other subsidiaries like Geo, Savan, etc. 
And the headline that we're discussing is that Facebook traded $5.7 billion for 9.99% of geo platforms. And that is the largest investment for a minority stake by a technology company anywhere in the world according to TechCrunch. So now that we have all the facts, let me ask you a few questions. So first of all, like I mentioned, our our listeners may or may not be uh, familiar with Reliance Geo or Geo platforms. So can you just, you know, get us our listeners started? What does Reliance Geo or Geo platforms do and why are they so influential in India? Well, it really comes down to a bit of the history of Mukesh Ambani himself. I mean, he's an oil magnate. Uh, that's that's where he's made his money. And as my colleague Andy Mukherjee points out, if you write down in capital letters the word oil, O-I-L, the mirror image of that word, seriously, take, write it on a piece of paper and hold it up to the mirror, you get the word geo. As many have said for many years, data is the new oil. And telecoms is really the, the, the pipe through which that oil is getting pumped. And so really, Mukesh Ambani wants to get into a new era. He wants to go beyond oil, and telco seems to be the, the, the way he wants to do it. What's interesting about Geo, Reliance Geo, the telco, is that it's not really making money f- from the connections. It's almost free to get onto his system. That's how he's managed to go from zero to 400 million telco customers in a very, very, very short time to really cannibalize the rest of the market. It's hurting everybody else. But there is method to his madness. The idea is that if he can get everybody on board, he can then turn those people into, into customers for other products. They do offer TV and cinema, but but frankly, as uh, my colleague Andy Mukherjee would point out, the people who are scrimping and saving to get a free telco connection are not the type to spend a lot of money on TV or cinema platforms. But really, it goes beyond that into an area that Facebook wants to get into, and that is commerce. And it's not just an e-commerce thing like an Amazon, but how you connect the communication side of e-commerce with the vendors and with the customers and with the logistics. And these are all things that play well for Mukesh Ambani and his background in oil and the areas that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook would like to move into. So that's really, I think, where they're looking at from this point of view, willing to you know burn money to get users on the platform in the belief that they can then spin that into a profitable business later, which is, you know, frankly, it's it's what Facebook itself has done. It now sells ads. But initially it was losing money when they were trying to build up that product. So that's really where we're going with geo platforms and Reliance Geo as a telco. You alluded to this just a little bit now in your answer, but why did Facebook choose to invest in geo platforms? Well, I think one thing that needs to be remembered about Facebook is that despite the fact they've got a gazillion members around the world, well, okay, not quite a gazillion, but they're they're basically almost everyone in the world has signed up to Facebook. They actually get most of their money from the US. They get very, very little of their revenue from Asia Pacific region, less than a third. And so there is swathes of consumers around the world that Facebook is not tapping into. They're not selling ads, essentially, to eyeballs in Asia, which is a real mess. But the ad business is very tight. And Facebook, for a while, has wanted to get into other areas. You know, they've wanted to, for example, leverage WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger into an e-commerce kind of platform. If anyone's got onto Facebook recently, you can. there is a sales platform there. 
And so bringing the two together with a telco allows Facebook to, to get into that area of uh, physical and digital, which is what Mukesh Ambani is trying to do with uh, Reliance Geo. So it works well for both sides to go down that path of combining digital with retail and connecting. Basically, you can use Facebook as, as many businesses do, use Facebook as a sales platform and into an interface to customers and then spin those customers into actual purchases and sales. And that is the uh, the kind of the holy grail for a lot of businesses out there. And of course, we have to remember that Facebook, it's not just uh, Facebook, they also own, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram. And WhatsApp is also a very, very popular uh, app in India. And I believe it is the most popular app in India. I read somewhere, I can't remember the source. Um, so how will Facebook extend its influence of its platforms, including, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram across India? India through this investment in uh, geo platforms. Well, you're right. WhatsApp is is hugely popular in India. It's become a social media platform in a way that it's not really in in say America. In fact, to the point where it's got a little bit out of control. Uh, sharing of news and information, including fake news and misinformation, has been a big thing on WhatsApp's platform in India for, for quite a few years. So it's the go-to app for people to, to find information. It's, it's kind of weird for most Americans to think about WhatsApp to be a source of information. But because of the group nature and the group kind of social nature of the way WhatsApp is used in India, it has become that in a way that Facebook is in the United States. And so then you've got Facebook itself, which is essentially the same product as it is in, in America or other countries. It's, uh, you know, the user feed and where people can comment. It is also used as a platform for businesses to apply their wares, show what they're doing and interact with customers. Facebook has been trying for a long time to then turn that into a, uh, a kind of a customer management or at least a customer communication platform where businesses can communicate directly with customers, answer queries and so forth. And that is what's, what it's used for in many ways in India, a way to, to take orders, to ship orders, to organize logistics and things like that. And so by combining with Reliance Geo, it wants to go that one step further of really kind of completing the whole transaction process. And, and in theory, that's what they can do. At the end of the day, everyone talks about China being, you know, the world's uh, most populous country. And of course, there is probably a billion people online. India's population is, is almost caught up to China's. Not as many people are online. There is, there's a large gap between the, uh, along the digital divide in India. But that gap is also opportunity for companies that have not yet staked their ground. And so I think Facebook, having missed out on China, is one of many Western companies that would like to be able to get uh, some access to India as the next big thing. I saw the announcement made by Mark Zuckerberg on his Facebook page, of course, when he talked about this investment into geo platforms. And he said that, you know, they're committed to work together on some major projects that will open open up commerce opportunities uh, for people across India. And specifically, he talked about Facebook, WhatsApp, and um, opportunities and tools for small businesses. And it's interesting as well, because, you know, we talk about uh, COVID, we're living amidst a pandemic. I believe you also wrote in your article for Bloomberg about how uh, mom and pop shops is 
actually providing uh, most of these services for people living in India right now. So how do you think this partnership or this investment into geoplatforms, their commerce initiatives is going to look like? I mean, I was doing some research uh, on geoplatforms and saw that they have something called Geomart, but there aren't a lot of information about it. For example, their Wikipedia page is empty right now. Yeah, interestingly enough, within a week of the announcement of Facebook investment into Geo, Reliance Industries itself announced that it had started testing its online shopping portal, and that is called Geomart. It's basically an e-commerce venture of Reliance Retail. And the idea is uh, just to serve, I mean, it's kind of very much an early test. It was serving only a few neighborhoods in Mumbai, and it was really just kind of uh, testing the water, so to speak. And it was interesting timing, of course, because at that time, as is right now, uh, India was under lockdown because of COVID-19. And so that was a good or or bad time to test that, uh, probably a good time because a lot of people do want to do online shopping. They can't get out and about to, to buy things themselves. And so it was a very good timing, very interesting timing, not at all coincidental timing that Geomart did get that kind of test run in Mumbai soon after you know Facebook had invested. And the shopping itself, that the app is available via Facebook's WhatsApp. And so that's very, very clear sign that the two from the get-go, ready to work together, are willing to work together, and have got a lot of the pieces of the puzzle in place to make this happen. In your article, you wrote about how customers in China and Indonesia have shown a preference for super apps, and it's possible that is something that maybe, you know, Geo uh, is looking into building, or Facebook is looking into building. Do you think Geomart has the potential to become a super app per se? I would probably guess that Geomart would be built onto the super app in the same way that uh, that WeChat has mini apps. I, at this stage, and I could be wrong, you know, six months or 12 months later, we could revisit it. But by what we've seen from Geo and Geomart so far, it looks like Geo would be happy to build it onto the WhatsApp uh, Facebook platform and leverage it that way. And if that is successful and that gives them uh, what they need in terms of revenue and data and and so forth, I think that that would be the way to go. Now, I would expect that Geo would have its own website and its own uh, kind of online properties. But in terms of that connection and the process by which an order would be placed Uh, linked up with local merchants, logistics sorted out and so forth. It looks to me that WhatsApp would be the platform on which that would happen. And it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't really doesn't make sense for for Reliance Geo to reinvent the wheel when already so many Indians are using WhatsApp in, in day to day. So it doesn't make sense for them to go out and try and build a new one when it already exists. That makes sense to me as well. And it definitely reminds me of WeChat, uh, which is, you know, the Chinese version of WhatsApp, some people say, but it's a super app there. You can realize so many functions through it and you have these Wee stores and you could, of course, pay with it. You could, there are these mini program. Oh, there's so much that you could do. So now that we're talking about WeChat, which is owned by the Chinese internet giant uh, Tencent, what do you think this alliance between Facebook and geoplatforms mean for Chinese tech giants like ByteDance, which has also become very popular in India, or for Alibaba, who invested via Paytm, or Xiaomi, which is the most popular phone brand in India, or Tencent in the India market? Well, 
In terms of ByteDance, I, I don't necessarily see it hurting. There's really not a lot of competition between ByteDance and Facebook. Where ByteDance uh, competes with anyone else or when Facebook competes with anyone else is it's really on that area of, uh, you know, time. You know, there's 24 hours in a day and if someone's spending time, you know, scrolling through Facebook or chatting on WhatsApp, then they're not watching ByteDance videos or so forth or TikTok videos. But if this helps get more and more Indians getting a mobile phone in their hand if more and more indians decide that it's you know it's time to get a mobile phone and they have a nice fast connection from reliance geo then that's good for for ByteDance property so i overall i actually think this is probably a good thing in the longer term to drive ByteDance because there's not a lot of overlap between uh what reliance geo facebook and and ByteDance are offering WeChat, I've written before, and uh, and I'll say this again, I've been disappointed in, in WeChat's and Tencent's overseas strategy. I, I basically don't think they've had one. And I've not seen a lot recently to suggest otherwise. Now, of course, Tencent is, is famous for WeChat, but they do have the gaming business, which is huge for them, and it's a big driver. And they do make money from that, and they are pushing their games, titles, and channels and so forth overseas. Some of that's come through acquisitions over the past few years, but some of it now that they've acquired those, they're doing it organically. But in terms of WeChat, I do think that investors should be pushing them to do more with that platform. But everything that I've seen so far over the last few years, including my conversations with people at Tencent and WeChat, indicates that they really don't have much of an overseas strategy. Talking about other companies... You know, Alibaba has, uh, has obviously got an eye on India. Then, you know, you've got uh, Xiaomi, which is, you know, doing well in India. It's an important market for them. Uh, Xiaomi is supposedly trying not to be a mobile phone maker, but to be kind of an advertising driven platform or something that they're trying to be, which, you know, longtime readers of mine and listeners to yours will know I've been very skeptical of. They basically are a smartphone maker. So if any of this uh, helps pe more people buy smartphones, then that's a net-net good for, for Xiaomi. In theory, this competes with Xiaomi's attempts at being an internet company, but I don't really think that's much of an attempt anyway. So net-net, I don't think it's a problem. Uh, so in many ways, what Facebook and Reliance Geo are doing is kind of plugging into a market or into a gap that I don't think the Chinese have really done much to, to try and attempt to, to enter so far. So it sounds like uh, it's uh, a good strategy for everybody, actually. And what about U.S. tech giants? Do you think Google and Amazon will consider a similar type of path now that Facebook have done this kind of uh, partnership or investment? Google is still basically an ad company. Yeah, they sell some hardware and of course they power Android. But at the end of the day, Google just can't get that out of that ad rut, which is a real pity because, you know, the hardware is good. The Pixel phones are generally well received and they could really give a lot of other brands a run for their money. But it's just part of their, their DNA that they can't seem to be able to change. I don't see them getting into e-commerce. I mean, there's talk about it and they've done things here and there, but but I, I think that no one really takes Google seriously in the e-commerce market beyond just selling ads for other people to sell stuff on e-commerce platforms. But I think that if you look at other companies, Amazon, 
I mean, you know, they're huge in India. They've spent a lot of money in India. They're very, they really want to go into India. Walmart, of course, is going into India as well. I think that this gives those those companies a run for their money. I think it definitely would be a bit of an assault on on what they want to achieve. So many people are in love with the idea of Indian e-commerce. Uh, so much money has been spent and burnt and lost on e-commerce in India, but people are not going to give up yet. The market is still young. So many Indians are not yet online and there is just so much growth left that I think that uh, given that most of these companies have next to zero chance of getting into China, they do have to look at India and they're not going to give up yet. We talked uh, a bit about uh, geo platforms and even GeoMart. What do you think Reliance Geo, the telco uh, sub, will gain from this alliance with Facebook in India? I think... It sounds uh, kind of trite to say it, but relevance. I mean, look, they've got 400 million uh, telco customers right now as we speak, probably even more. Uh, Maybe they're close to 500 million uh, by the time this gets published, but they're growing. And the key thing really for them is, is this physical digital combination that they want to achieve. That's what gets Mark Zuckerberg interested. And so what they get out of it is, amongst everything else, apart from... (laughs) $5.7 $5.7 billion of cash, which is, you know, not something that anyone would say no to. They get know-how. They get access to learning more about how Facebook does it. For Reliance Industries, it's a huge company with a lot of money and a lot of smart people, but the internet, telcos, all of that is relatively new to them. So by being able to just tap into the Facebook uh, knowledge bank alone, I think is very, very valuable. And I, I think that people shouldn't discount the value of that itself. I read in your article that uh, you wrote the word digital, and I really like that. <laughs> Physical plus digital. <laughs> that was coined by Andy Mukherjee, my co-author of that uh, that column. Um, he's, uh, he's definitely been on top of it uh, more than I have. And yes, he's seen this come from a long way long way away. And I I definitely invite people to read more of his work on the topic. How do you think the e-commerce or the entire mobile landscape is going to change in India with this alliance? I think it's going to be much more aggressive, obviously, when someone brings $5.7 billion into a market that uh, that makes competition very, very tough. It's interesting that SoftBank has been in the market, but has basically tapped out of money. So, you know, the competitors, Amazon and Walmart and others, I think we'll probably have to bring more money to the market. I think what we will see, not yet, but in the next maybe two or three years from now, so maybe 2022, by 2022, will be each of the players kind of finding their business model, their differentiation, their strategy that just makes them just a little bit different from the other so that there can be some kind of detente, a little bit of a piece, and each of them can carve out their niche and exactly where they get their section of revenue and their section of profit from e-commerce in India. Reliance Geo having a telco and therefore having you know consumer data available to them, having basically being in every Indian's hand through a cell phone, I think it will be very, very powerful for them. And that's something that, say, uh, you know, Amazon will not have in the same way. So I think that's the angle that they would try and leverage. What do you think this partnership means for the Chinese and U.S. tech giants who have already entered or still trying to enter or grow in India, which has become more and more protectionist in the past two years? And I do remember reading about how Mukesh Ambani is apparently pretty good friends with Prime Minister Modi of India. 
Well, I'm sure, uh, you know, when you're, when you're that rich and powerful, you've got many good friends. So I think the key really is that there has been protectionism in India, for sure, without a doubt. You know, I, I recall if you go back a few years ago, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg wanted to, to give a freebie to Indians through their free basics plan, which took a lot of flack from, from uh, you know, politicians and media and Indians in general. They, they just thought it was not not something they wanted because it was going to be a walled garden approach. You know, Westerners coming in, giving away something for free, but really it was it was not for free. You had to basically connect to Facebook's collection of, of apps or whatever Facebook allowed you access to. So that was beaten out of the market pretty quickly. That idea didn't, didn't last very long and, and Zuckerberg and uh, Facebook had to retreat. But this time they're coming in with cash and really wanted to go in as I, I can't even say a joint partner, they've only got 10% of the company. I think that's something that's very, very important to understand is that Facebook is not coming in taking over uh, any company. They're only taking a 10% stake. And I think that's what is allows them to come in and, and dump that much money into the market without really having it being giving concern to Indian regulators, politicians and others who are definitely very protectionist. If that can pave the way for other companies to come in and do similar, that would certainly be good for the American, big American tech companies. But I wouldn't be convinced that that's going to be the case. I think we'll still see protectionism in India for a while yet. And the companies that want to come in and get around that protectionism will have to make a very, very good case to Indian leadership why they should be able to do that. And that's, I think, where the next phase of this uh, foreign entry into India will come from. Yeah, Facebook has definitely set the bar high in terms of how much money they were willing to spend for just 10% of the shares. And you know what? It's a lot of money. It's going to take quite a while for geo platforms to spend. So, uh, you know, we're doing our story still quite early on. The announcement was only made less than a month ago. So still a lot of development uh, to be seen in the next while. So we're going to now close up a little bit on this chapter and uh, open up our conversation about SoftBank's Vision Fund. Uh, you've came onto the show, I believe, a bit over a year ago to talk about to SoftBank's Vision Fund, which was definitely at a different stage in its fund career. Now, there has been a lot of continued setbacks for Vision Fund. So let's talk about that. Why do you think the Vision Fund experienced a set of continued problems from its investees, such as WeWork and Oyo? I think it really comes down to a very poor due diligence. I think that they were blinded by the amount of cash they had, $100 billion. When you have that much cash, it's very, very hard to deploy. Uh, if you talk to any fund manager who might run some kind of equity fund, a mutual fund or whatever, a lot of them would prefer to have a uh, billion dollars or $100 million to handle rather than $100 billion. It's easier to make large returns and percentage figures with small on money. But when you've got $100 billion to deal with, there's just not that many targets out there that is going to eat up all that cash. And that blinded them. I believe that they went into companies like WeWork and Oyo and a few others, believing that money could be ammunition to win the war. As long as you had enough money and you outgunned everybody else, then you capture the market and you win. The problem with that approach is that it removes fiscal discipline from the equation. One thing that 
startups have always had to do is be fiscally disciplined. They do get big wads of cash from time to time. They can hire and have those, you know, nice big parties on yachts and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, that doesn't last forever. And at some point, a CEO, CEO or CFO has to show discipline in the growth period of the company. Companies like WeWork didn't have to do that. They were just given basically blank checks to keep going and doing more of what they were doing or even more. I mean, the, the famous quote that came from, uh, you know, Neumann, Adam Neumann, the founder, was that, uh, you know, essentially Masayoshi's son thought that he wasn't crazy enough. He wanted to be more crazy, do more big, crazy things. And Masayoshi's son later admitted that he created a monster. And that has all come crashing down. The The long-term business model of WeWork was always in doubt. I'd, I'd said that many, many times. It just didn't make sense. I take no pleasure in, in being right, given how many people are losing their jobs and how much money was lost. But this has been the problem for the Vision Fund from day one. Too much money put into, too quickly, put deployed too quickly. Just a few years, they've deployed $100 billion in just a few years, which is, it's a crazy pace of investment, which meant that due diligence fell by the wayside and business models were not tested. And as a result, we're seeing massive, massive billion dollar losses at the Vision Fund and layoffs from many of the portfolio companies. And it was inevitable. I, I just don't think anybody should be surprised about this. Understood. And I'm going to ask the next question, which is what are some of the lessons that we can learn from SoftBank's other failed investments uh, as well? For example, Zumi, the pizza startup in the Bay Area. I know you mentioned, you know, more due diligence and maybe throw less money at them. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think that throw less money at them. I've actually written and I would argue that the past failures have, have happened. That's just that's just life. But a second vision fund, which is being discussed, should see Masayoshi-san go in a different direction. I think he should consider angel investing. And all the angel funds in Silicon Valley would hate to hear me say that. But I think he should put in caps where he, he only invests in early, early, early stage startups not the ones that he thinks have already won, but really take a punt on early startups, early ideas, early technologies, and put a cap on uh, on the size of the investment, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars at most, so that he really is focused and targeted and spends time getting to understand the business he's in. And the fund itself, I think, should be small, much, much smaller. It should be nowhere near $100 billion. And so I think that he should take the lessons learnt from all these failures and understand that just throwing money into a startup is not enough. There's a reason why the good Silicon Valley VCs uh, have some really good ones and some not so good ones. It's not enough to just throw money at a startup. You've got to understand who they are, what they're doing, and what you as a VC can bring to the table in terms of nurturing them and bringing them through the stages of business development and to market and to an exit. Uh, I think a lot of people in that coterie believe that all it takes is a lot of money to be a good VC. And I think that we've learned that that is not what it takes. You need to have some now, some understanding. And I think by going into angel investing, he and his team can start to understand that. I think these are some really good advice. I hope he, he listens to our podcast and hears all these great advice that you have for him. And you know what? $100 billion seems like so much money, especially because we were just talking about $5.7 billion and how much you can do with that. 
but they've also had a lot of success. Uh, they saw the IPOs of uh, quite a few different companies as well in their portfolio. What has happened to companies that have gone public in their portfolios, such as Slack and Uber? And I know it's an interesting time for Slack as well, given so many people are working from home now um, because of COVID-19. Yeah, generally speaking, even before COVID-19 hit, most of these companies were not doing well. There was only about a half a dozen that had IPO'd by the time of COVID-19 hitting. Slack recently has been one of the better performers since January, at a bottom in January, which is about uh, late January, uh, January 28, before COVID-19 really took off to today, the stock is up around 50%, which is lovely. Uh, and that is above its IPO price, but it's still well below the historic level that it hit like a, a couple of days within days of the IPO in June last year. So Slack has got a long way to go to really reach its potential. Uber, I almost feel like I don't even need to explain it to anybody. Uber is, is struggling and a lot of the other companies are also struggling. Most of their companies, if you were to kind of put a, a timestamp at say January 15 before COVID-19 just kind of upended the world, most of SoftBank's portfolio companies that had listed were not doing well. Since then, Slack has done well. Most of the others have not. And I would argue that most of those probably wouldn't have done much better if COVID-19 hadn't come along anyway. It really it would have got to a point of, well, it probably can't go down any further, so they would rebound, but still a long way from the, the levels at which people expected that they would trade. Are there any silver linings for the Vision Fund? Uh, maybe Grab, DD, or ByteDance? ByteDance. I really think that ByteDance is the one. Unfortunately for ByteDance, I think that it's facing a lot of headwinds in the US for national security and whatever reasons you want to call it, you call it national security, you could call it protectionism, patriotism, whatever. TikTok has been doing very well in the US and, and many other overseas markets, but I tell you what, this COVID-19 timing is, is terrible for them. I think this year would have been a great year for ByteDance to IPO, and maybe it still will. While it's got momentum, while it's got growth, while it's got a lot of buzz, but before any concerns or pressure or pushback really hurts ByteDance's ability to expand in America and elsewhere. So I think 2020 would have been the golden year for them, maybe early 2021. I mean, the, the valuation is already very, very high. They probably would take another round of VC investment before they IPO, a pre-IPO round. But there's not much further it could grow in a private market valuation because as you get too expensive in the private markets uh, in the, through VC funding, it makes it more and more difficult to have a very, very successful exit through IPO because the numbers have to be even higher again. Looking at Grab, it's a little hard to know now with COVID-19. There's good and bad to what's going on with Grab. We saw that with Meituan Dienping, I think, is the best example where they got a lot of upside, but they also faced a lot of real problems from COVID-19 in China. And uh, talking about Didi, I don't think Didi has turned it around as much as people had expected. The idea was that once Didi had the market to themselves in China as, as the Uber of, of China, there was a belief that you know, they would have it all to themselves and they would make money. But as soon as any other competitor came along, such as Meituan, and just in one or two cities would introduce you know, their own ride-sharing offering, Didi was then forced to cut prices to compete against. So the idea that it can be a winner-take-all market in China, I think, has proven to be false. So I think Didi needs to find other business areas to, to make profit from. 
and I'm not convinced that they've done so yet, but I think there's still a possibility that they will find profitable avenues of business that don't require them just competing with anybody else who offers a ride sharing. Grab has some lessons for them, I think. Grab is another portfolio company. They are not just ride sharing in Southeast Asia. They're, they're delivery, they're trying to get into fintech and all these other things, some of which will fail and that's fine. It doesn't matter if they fail, they've just got to give it a go. They're competing very heavily with Gojek though and there's been rumors of some kind of merger or acquisition or buyout between the two that's not really pushing ahead, but it's nice for people to kind of gossip about. I think Grab could be a, a good one for, for SoftBank going forward. And it's probably Grab, I would say Grab and ByteDance are the, probably the two shining stars in the portfolio at this stage. We talked about quite a few companies in their portfolio. So do you think the Vision Fund has a bright future or do you think it's likely going to be a failure? Well, it really depends on what you call a failure. You know, it's the Saudis, the biggest investor. If they're happy with it, then, well, it's not a failure, right? But generally speaking, VC funds don't measure their returns in percentage points, but in, in multiples. And it's it's the number before the Xs, not the number before the percentage sign that really is what's going to determine whether or not the Vision Fund is a failure. I don't think we're going to see very large numbers before the for the before the multiple sign with this vision fund. I think they'll be you know over over a ten year period. I think their their internal rate of return or whatever metric you want to use will be measured in percentage points, not in multiples. And so I think that many VCs would look at that as a failure. But again, this was not a general VC fund open to all and sundry. It was a select group of VCs, the Saudis being the anchor, SoftBank themselves. Even Foxconn got in there. So if those investors are happy with it, then I guess it's not a failure. But I don't think it'll be considered a success by most metrics. All right. And that is my last, well, almost last question for you for the day. Before I let you go, Tim, do you have any books or podcasts or articles or anything that you'd like to recommend that maybe helped you um, go through the tough times during COVID-19? Uh, you know what, YouTube, I've, uh, I've been getting onto YouTube videos and listening to classic uh, kind of 80s, 90s and 2000s uh, pop songs. I do a lot of exercise at home and I do go out and go running and get out into the sunshine. I'm sorry, the rest of the world is not able to do that. But yeah, in Taiwan, I can do that. So uh, dance music and uh and and youtube is what gets me through it you know what i'm here in shanghai and i can finally go out again as well and i appreciate nature and sunshine and fresh air so much more uh, after this whole uh, self-quarantine phase in china and uh, tim where can our audience find you if they want to read more about your work or uh, hear more of what you have to say the easiest way is on twitter at T-C-U-L-P-A-N. If you have a Bloomberg terminal, and I know a lot of listeners probably don't, you can find me on the Bloomberg terminal at N-I space C-U-L-P-A-N. And on Bloomberg.com slash opinion, where myself and all of my opinion colleagues are published, including Andy Mukherjee, whom you should keep an eye out for. I've plucked his name many times on this podcast, but he's very on top of things in the Indian space. And uh, we've got a lot of other great columnists out there as well. So go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion 
and I think you'll find some really good content. And if you want to hear more episodes of Analyze Asia, you can find us on any podcast platforms and you can also tweet to us on Twitter as well. You can find us by searching for Analyze Asia, that is Analyze with a S. And with that, thank you so much, Tim, for coming on to Analyze Asia again, for sharing your insights and also, you know, your articles with us. Thank you so much. And we will definitely have you back on the show again sometime in the future. Thanks, Carol.